Well, if you would, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As you know, it's our norm when it comes to preaching to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse, but there are definitely different times and seasons where it's appropriate and even good to raise our head from the book we're studying to set our minds on other edifying topics. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing just that. We're going to press pause on our study of the Gospel of John. This morning and next week, Lord willing, we will be considering ordinary Christianity. This morning we'll begin by looking at the corporate level, that is, as a gathered church, looking at the ordinary means of grace and how they shape an ordinary church. Then next week, by the grace of God, we'll look at how those ordinary means of grace shape individuals, or they are applied individually to make us ordinary Christians. Um, That word can be assaulting to some people's ears, ordinary. Nobody wants to be ordinary. Nobody wants to have ordinary things or be a part of something that's ordinary. But what exactly do we mean in saying the ordinary means of grace? Perhaps you're unfamiliar with that terminology, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, But the ordinary means of grace are ordinarily and unfortunately... um, altogether overlooked or disregarded in in many churches today. But I'd like to give us a a helpful definition from MacArthur's biblical doctrine to help us gain some understanding. Quote, God uses various means to bring blessing, strengthen faith, and cultivate spiritual growth in the lives of His people. Historically, these have been called means of grace. They are the instruments through which God's Spirit graciously grows believers in Christ's likeness as He fortifies them in the faith and conforms them into the image of the Son. In other words, they are the means or the instruments, if you will, that God has chosen to work through to grow people, His people, in grace. If we are not careful, sanctification and blessing and growth in Christ, these can all seem so vague and ambiguous and just kind of up in the air, subjective even, that it's really easy to say something like, well, you have your way of connecting with God, and I have my way of connecting with God. Well, your church has their way of connecting with God, and we have ours. Who's to say who is right? And that's a very fair question whenever you live the Christian life based on subjective experience, because everybody's way is just fine. But as we look at these ordinary means of grace, we're going to find that God has ordained specific means through which His people can, quote-unquote, connect with Him to receive all of the benefits of redemption. 
God has made a way for us, and he's laid it out for us in Scripture. So what are the means or the instruments? Let's first be clear that you're not going to find the terminology, if you're looking in your Bible, you're not going to find ordinary means of grace. This is what they are in your Bible. There are many terms that we use in today's today to, to speak of, of uh, ideas or uh, different things that take place in the Bible and in the Christian life, that you're not going to find the actual word in the Bible. Don't be afraid of that because the principles are drawn directly from Scripture. So you won't find the, the term, but you are going to find the pattern of how God normally and ordinarily works in the lives of his people. You'll find it in different commands that were given. You'll find it in how people lived and interacted. And so the most prevalent means that virtually everyone agrees upon are the word, the ordinances, and prayer. Different people will add a few others from different passages but today, we're going to look at the four that are presented in our text today. So it's the Word, it's prayer, it's the ordinances, and it's also fellowship. So that's what they are, but what do we mean here when we specify that these are being uh, used as the means of grace? Does this mean that if I use these means and I partake of these means, that God will definitely give me saving Grace. Well, no. That's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? We don't mean that these means of grace, the scriptures, prayer, fellowship, and the ordinances, contain any inherent power to give you grace. That is, some, uh, that is a very religious form of teaching that you can just partake of the sacraments. Uh, for example, the Catholic Church will teach that, that you could just partake of the sacraments and just the action of partaking of the sacraments is how God gives you grace. We know that that's not true. We know that God's grace is sovereign and God has sovereignly ordained to work by His Spirit through particular means to give us grace. What are we saying here? Is that it's not the action, it's not the word by itself, but it's the Spirit empowering the reading, the preaching, the hearing of the Word. And it is the listener or the reader hearing or reading in faith. And that is how God communicates to us the blessings that we are to experience in redemption. So, for example, some people can hear a sermon that is empowered by the Spirit, and some people are blessed and edified, and they leave strengthened and encouraged and excited, and other people will sit and say, That's, that was boring, I might as well have just stayed at home and taken a nap. What was the point of all of that? Well, what's the difference? It's that the individual was not being helped by the Spirit, was not listening in faith. So you see, it's not just the activity itself, it is the, still the Spirit working and faith working on the end of the user, you and I. We call these the means of grace, not because you can do these things to receive saving grace, but because they are the means by which we grow in grace. The means of grace are instruments that God has appointed and empowers by His Spirit to grow us in Christ. 
If that's still a little foggy, Lord willing, as we move along, it'll crystallize in your mind. But why are we doing this? Why in the world are we taking time to talk about this thing that I've never heard of in my whole life? It's a good question. I have four really quick reasons that I want to give you. First, it's a foundation for us to grow. In case you didn't realize, we are still very much in our infancy here at Flatland Bible Church. And as such, what we do today will have long-lasting ramifications. We want to build a solid foundation according to the instructions that God has given us and believe that He is the one who will grant growth. Indeed, He's the only one who can grant growth. And in the days of how to 10 easy steps to grow a church, we want to turn to the Scriptures and see what the Lord has to say. Secondly, encouragement when growth is slow. Anyone ever tried to lose weight? And it seems like you just ate a salad at lunchtime. You should have lost all the weight by now. I worked out this morning. Why am I not skinny yet? It's my battle every day. What is going on? It's taking so long. Growth is slow. We can find great encouragement in these ordinary means of grace when we are tempted to be discouraged by slow growth because we can know that if we're doing things God's way, we will receive God's blessing in due season if we don't faint. Third, to help us to understand our worship services. Why do we structure the service the way that we do? Why do we do some things that other churches do or don't do things other churches do? Why do we do uh, sing specific songs? Why do we uh, pray so long at the beginning? Why, 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 why do we do these things? It's not arbitrary. Understanding the ordinary means of grace will help us to understand. And guess what? It will give us a sense of purpose when we gather together. Have you ever repeated something a lot of times and it just becomes commonplace? And it can just can become boring. And it's just, man, something needs to change. This is just what's going on. Well, the ordinary me understanding the ordinary means of grace and how God works through these means to give us grace will help us to understand that day in, day out, Sunday in, Sunday out of the same steady diet is what God has prescribed. And it gives us purpose for what we're doing so that we can help to avoid the temptation of just running through the motions forth. It's to help us to see the beauty in the ordinary. Quick question, how many pictures of just a regular sunset have you ever seen? Not one with any clouds and pretty pinks and oranges and yellows, but I mean just a regular, there's no clouds in the sky, it's just a sun dropping past the horizon. You've probably seen none like that, right? But you've seen a ton of pictures of the sunset with beautiful pinks and the, the clouds look like brush marks in the sky. Do you see, we are so prone to only see beauty in the extraordinary. Never mind the fact that the sun setting is evidence of God's faithfulness yet again. It's evidence of passing time. It's evidence of the rotation of the earth. Never mind all of those things. We need the extraordinary in order to see beauty. But God does extraordinary things through very ordinary means. 
You ever heard of the disciples? They were fishermen. They were just regular Joes. God does extraordinary things through ordinary means. As we study the ordinary means of grace, it will remind us that God has given us a way for every day, no-name people like you and I to know God and commune with Him and experience all of His benefits that He has made available to us in Christ Jesus. So with all of this in mind, I want to turn to our text now. And I do want to add really quickly that we could spend several weeks studying these ordinary means of grace, but instead we're going to kind of approach this like skipping a rock on a pond. We're just going to lightly touch on a few things, and, uh, but Lord willing, what we cover will be beneficial. We're not going to really walk through Acts 2.42, so we're going to do something different. Feel free to remain in your seat. Uh-oh. Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We would be remiss if we did not ask for the Lord's blessing. Let's stop and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak of these ordinary things with your people. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly. I pray that this would be a benefit to your people. Lord, that we would leave encouraged, knowing that you do extraordinary things with ordinary means. Please bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This text, as I said, is just going to serve as a, as a frame of reference for us. We're, we're going to be moving around in our Bibles, so keep them nearby. But you can see these four ordinary means of grace laid out for us in the passage, can't you? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. As you know, this passage, is, this verse, is taking place on the heels of this extraordinary event called Pentecost. You know this passage well. The Spirit has fallen on those who were gathered together in the upper room. It has descended upon them, appearing as tongues of fire above their heads, they went out into the streets proclaiming Christ in, in who knows how many different languages so that everybody heard Christ proclaimed in their own language. And then Peter preaches the paint off the walls and 3,000 people are saved. What an amazing event. It is absolutely incredible what has just transpired. 3,000 people are saved in verse 41, and then we turn to verse 42, and you expect to hear that the disciples then devoted themselves to extraordinary pursuits of extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit. And that's not what happens at all. No, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Very ordinary things. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through all of the disciples because they kept pursuing manifestations of the Spirit. Do you have that in your Bible? I hope not. No. The signs and wonders were being done through the Apostles, do you see the distinction that's being made here? For the regular Joes, like you and I, 
we devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And the apostles who were uniquely appointed and gifted with unique manifestations of the Spirit's power, they continued on doing what God was doing through them. But the church was dedicated, devoted. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. If we're being really honest, people don't overlook this because it's beige. It's vanilla. It's boring. It's ordinary. I want to do the cool stuff. I, I want to see the Spirit come down on people like tongues of fire. I want to speak in tongues. I want to prophesy. I want these awesome experiences with God that nobody else can, can have. You can pursue those things, but the faith, once for all handed down throughout the ages, is one that is devoted to teaching, that's Scripture, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which I'll argue is the Lord's table, and to prayer. Do you know what's so beautiful about that, though? Is that that's available to everybody. It's available to all of us. We might not be able to manifest these incredible works of the Spirit, but you can open your Bible, but you can hear the Word preached, but you can gather with other believers, but you can come to the Lord's table, you can pray, you can communicate and commune with your Savior because He has ordained a means. And what was the result? Verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see how all glory is given to the Lord for the growth? The Lord added to their number. It wasn't because so many awesome things were taking place. It was because they just continued on in what God had for them. We learn from this that God does indeed use extraordinary means. He does. He does do extraordinary things to accomplish His purposes. But what has been given to us, what is to be expected, what is to be uh, normally engaged in and ordinarily engaged in is not the pursuit of the extraordinary, but rather devotion to the ordinary, knowing that God does extraordinary things with ordinary means. This is how God works, because friends, He receives all the glory this way. All of it. Now let's zoom in a little bit now to look at the means themselves, beginning with the apostles' teaching. As you know, they had the apostles face-to-face -face during this time. They were taught by the apostles directly, but also through the epistles. As the church started to grow and churches were planted in different places, letters or the epistles were, were passed around. They were written to particular churches and then often circulated. So the, church, the letters to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, much like it is today, that was the apostles' teaching. This is what was uh, instructing their life, and church life was the apostles' teaching. Today, we would call the apostles' teaching the New Testament. The Scriptures are the way that God speaks to His people. The Scriptures are the way that God speaks to His people. It has often been said that if you want a word from God, then open your Bible. 
And if you want to hear an audible word from God, read your Bible out loud. We have 66 books full of words from God. Friends, why would we pursue anything else? We have 66 books full of words from God. You need a word, I'm sure you can find it in here. It's here. The church has been fed, nourished, and guided throughout the ages in the pages of Holy Scripture. I love the way that the late R.C. Sproul put it. Quote, There is no such thing as a spirit-filled church that does not give itself continually and steadfastly to the study of sacred Scripture. The first sign of a spirit-filled church is one in which the spirit-filled people do not flee from Scripture and seek a substitute for it, but are driven to it to have their spiritual lives rooted and grounded in the Word of God." End quote. Here at Flatland Bible Church, we center everything around the Word, and we do so unashamedly. We should never be ashamed for using what God said to use. Because we believe here that the Word is God's chosen means to edify, instruct, encourage, and correct His people. Join me in 1 Timothy. Put your seatbelt on. We're going to fly through this at rapid pace. You might not think I can do that, but I'm up for the challenge. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to notice as we look through this, the, the primacy of the word and Paul's instructions to this young minister, Timothy. This is a letter written to a young minister. Look at verse 3 here. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Charge here means to command. He was there in part to set straight false teaching. Why? Because bad teaching leads to bad living. But look at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Good teaching leads to good living, in other words. But you don't have people who love in the biblical sense if they don't have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So, Timothy must remain there at Ephesus to teach sound doctrine that it might produce this condition of the heart, the sincerity of heart, the purity, so that love could flow forth from that heart. At the end of the chapter 1, he writes that Hymenaeus and Alexander are examples of those who have made shipwreck of their faith by, guess what, abandoning sound doctrine. Chapter 2 is about how sound doctrine forms the prayer life of the church. And it instructs us as to why women cannot be preachers or pastors. I challenge you, read chapter 2 and chapter 3 and try to make a biblical case for women preachers and you cannot do it. Chapter 3 gets into the qualifications for elders and deacons and I want you to look at verse 14 in chapter 3. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
You want to know what is the purpose of this letter? It's right here. Paul is writing to Timothy so that people know how to conduct themselves, how to behave, how the church is supposed to be run, how it's supposed to be shaped, how it's supposed to act, how it's supposed to think. Because why? It's the church of the living God. It's the pillar and buttress of truth. If the church loses truth, the church has lost its very identity, my friends. The whole book, point of this book, is so that people will know this. And you'll notice that there is no mention of pursuing extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit. But over and over again, he's mentioning the primacy of the Scripture. In fact, he calls the church the pillar and buttress of the truth. This is part of the nature of the church. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Isn't that amazing? Not to extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit, not to, not to doing any of these things that we practice today. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. It could not be more clear, my friends. This letter is written so that we know how to behave in the household of God. And the primary thing that we need to know is that Scripture is to be front and center. Not programs, not music, not a personality, but Scripture. Gabby was telling me about a particular Facebook group that she's a part of, how they are always asking about church recommendations in the area, and the things that they are looking for have nothing to do with this. It's always, we want to go somewhere that has great music. Friends, the world has great music. The world has great music. You don't need anything, any move of God to have great music. You know that? We want to go somewhere that has a wonderful children's program. Well, that's great. We care about children. But what about the scriptures? What about we want to go somewhere that loves the word of God? Why? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Chapter 3, you probably know this by heart. Verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hallelujah! Do you want some of that action? I do. I want to be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, how will we do that? By putting the scriptures front and center. Then look at chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Could this be more strong, Paul? And I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in kingdom, preach the word. That's a, he's putting a lot of stock in this command. Preach the word. Why? So that you can get a good following? No. Because all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for his people. You don't need me to sit around all week long to think of what would be a really cool series to do. How about dating? How about five tips to better money habits? That's not what you need. What you need is those profitable scriptures. We need to feed 
in the green pastures of the pages of Holy Scripture. How is this accomplished? First and foremost, the intended means of God's people benefiting from the Word of God is by hearing preaching. Well, that's easy for a preacher to say, isn't it? Well, let's bear in mind that for many generations, Christians did not own a Bible. They didn't have one. For a very long time, there was not a Bible in every household or in every pocket like there is today. The majority of people were illiterate, and even those who could read couldn't afford a Bible by the time it was actually being circulated. But for generations, the Bible had to be heard. If you were going to come to know the Word of God, you had to hear the Word of God preached. You had to hear it taught. You had to hear it. Christians receive the nourishment from the Word by hearing it preached and taught. After all, what did Paul tell us? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. This is why we preach through books of the Bible. You and I, again, need a steady diet of the Scriptures. We need to know the flow of Scripture, the story of Scripture. We need to learn how to properly handle the Scriptures. Why? This is the primary means through which we come to know God. We don't come to know God through extra-biblical revelation or through private revelation, through extraordinary, ecstatic experiences, but by the Spirit illuminating the truth of Scripture in your heart. He makes it real to you. What did the psalmist say? Open my eyes so that I can behold great and wonderful things out of your word. Great and wonderful things await us here, friends. So when we gather together, we should come expectant. I expect to hear from God this morning, not because our pastor is a prophet or he has some direct line of communication with God, but because we're going to open the Bible and we're going to hear it. And this is how God speaks to his people. This is how he gives us sustaining grace, but also your personal reading of Scripture, coming to the Word daily, feeding daily. You don't make it a habit of skipping a whole day's worth of meals now, do you? Well, man is not supposed to live on bread alone, but on every word which proceeds from the Father's mouth. So we should not make a habit of skipping full days of going without the nourishment for our souls. The Word is absolutely essential for the life and growth of the church. Gathering around the Word, singing the Word, studying the Word, praying the Word, this is how God communicates to His people in the primary means that Christ uses to strengthen, edify, encourage, and instruct His people. Fellowship. The second means of grace, fellowship. As we said in the beginning of our time today, most of all people are agreeing that it's the word, prayer, and the ordinances, but our passage has four. It also has fellowship. And as we study the New Testament, we see the importance that Scripture puts on fellowship. What is meant by fellowship? Well, first of all, Christian fellowship is built on fellowship with Christ. We learn that in 1 John 1, 3. Also in Paul's letters to the Corinthians that it is not light and darkness having a relationship. It is light having a relationship with light. 
Christian fellowship is not just meeting together, but it is purposeful meeting together. Yes, it is important to spend time together, but it's also critical that we understand that Christ brings his people together for the purpose of stirring one another up, of instructing one another, watching out for one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. As you've heard me say in the past, the context of the local church is where we gather to practice the one another's. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Encourage one another and build one another up. Friends, those aren't just nice things that he's saying. He's commanding our fellowship in the church. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Galatians 5.13 Serve one another. These epistles, again, in the New Testament were written to specific churches. They weren't written to a bunch of individual people. These were meant to be practiced in the context of the local church. You know, we have grown up in this American version of Christianity where everything is individualized. And it's about your private time with the Lord and your faith is private and it's kept hidden, it's kept secret. It's this thing between you and God that y'all got going on. It's not between anybody else. But all throughout the New Testament, fellowship and community and togetherness is proclaimed everywhere and it's expected and assumed. Why? Because once we get out on our own, rest assured, we are in for making shipwreck ourselves. I know that this is a brief side note, but that idea is alien to Scripture, you know. And if we want to be strengthened, if we want to be benefited by the ordinary means of grace, friends, we have to utilize them. We practice fellowship. We practice the one another's. This is why we have this command set forth for us in Hebrews 10, 24-25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, we learn there that one of the ordained ways that we prepare for the day of the Lord is by gathering with God's people on the Lord's day. We gather not to just sit in a chair and hear a sermon, sing some songs, But the scriptures tell us that we gather to stir up one another, to love and good works and encourage one another. Those who neglect the gathering, as the passage says, miss out on all of it. And it's something that you can almost forecast. That when a person has a pattern of distancing themselves from the gathering, they inevitably wander off into strange teaching, or sin will start to grow in their lives, Or they will be weak in their faith if they don't abandon the faith altogether. Why? Because they're not devoting themselves to a steady diet of the ordinary means of grace. Therefore, they cannot receive the benefits of the ordinary means of grace. This is such a strange illustration, forgive me. But have you ever had something in your teeth after eating? Nobody? Wow, y'all are amazing eaters. Yes, you have. You definitely have. And now I'm going to point it out at lunch. 
Sometimes you get something stuck in your teeth, and what do you have to do? Hey, do I have something stuck in my teeth? You, you ask for help, don't you? You can't see it on your own unless you go to a mirror, of course, but you need help. You need help. And it's the same way in the Christian life. I know it's a weird illustration. It's the same way in the Christian life. We need help. I can't always see when I am being impatient or when I'm being easily agitated or when I am not stirred up with zeal for the glory of God. I can't always see that in myself because guess what? I'm great at giving myself the benefit of the doubt. So what do I need? I need brothers and sisters who will love me enough to look at me and say, hey man, this, hey, this is not what you learned about Christ. This is not how you learned him. You need that. You and I both need that. That is the ordinary means of grace. He has given it to us so that we can be built up and strengthened and encouraged and grow in Christ-likeness. Believe it or not, church membership and attendance and serving, these are not things that just pastors like to say. This is because it's for our good. How do we practice this then? How do we benefit from this particular means of grace? We gather together. We spend time together. And we intentionally put into practice these one another passages with one another. And guess what? We fight through the awkwardness and trust that as we do this in faith, that God's Spirit will empower us and we will be strengthened and we will be sharpened and we will be encouraged and we will be sanctified and we will grow in grace. Next, the ordinances. The breaking of bread is what the passage had. The ordinances, as you know, are the Lord's Supper and baptism. But as you can probably assume, you don't need to be devoted to baptism. We don't gather every Sunday and, okay, everybody get in the tank. We're all getting baptized again. Baptism is where we are coming into the faith, but the body does indeed benefit from witnessing the baptism. But it's the Lord's Supper that is the ongoing benefit that we will receive as often as you do it, the Lord said. The early Christians would have what became known as love feasts. They were feasts where the Christians would share a meal, they would spend time together, and then they would partake of the Lord's Supper at the end. This is sadly a far cry from how we view the Lord's Supper today. So It's so easy just to pop the cracker, take the little swig of grape juice, and we're on with our day. But the Lord's Supper is a beautiful, some refer to it as the covenant-renewing ceremony of God's people and Christ. We spent last, some time last year discussing the meaning and importance of coming to the Lord's table, so we're not going to go in great depth here today. But I do want to remind us of what 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. 10.16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Do you know what that word participation is? It's koinonia. Do you know what that is often translated as? Fellowship. It is a time when we come to the Lord's table where we are actually communing with our Savior. We're not talking about transubstantiation where the elements are somehow mystically transformed. But we are, by faith, taking part in, joining in, fellowshipping in Christ when we partake of communion. This is why 
Paul is, takes great, um, great pains in 1 Corinthians 11 to correct their practices of the Lord's table because they, people were coming to the Lord's table with sin in their hearts, unforgiveness, bitterness, all sorts of things. And Paul is saying, that's why some of you are sick and even dying because you're taking the Lord's table without discerning the body. This is a serious thing. It's a beautiful thing, and we are strengthened by it as we are reminded of Christ's body that was given for us and his blood that was spilled for us and this new covenant that was made in his blood. And on our part, it helps us to renew our end of the bargain as we see the word and we are reminded and we have this picture, this visual image. We can be reminded if his love be that great, surely he deserves my all. And then there's baptism. Baptism is the other of the two ordinances. As I said, we don't continue on in baptism. Verse 41 from Acts 2 said that they were baptized. They were baptized into the faith, but they're not devoted to baptism. However, we are baptized upon our profession, and we get to witness, Lord willing, other people's baptisms. And there are benefits on both ends. When you are in the waters of baptism, you are signifying that you are with one with Christ, being buried with Him in the waters, signifying that you are dying with Christ, dying a death like His. That when Christ died, you died. And as you come out of the waters of baptism, you are signifying that you have been raised to newness of life in Christ. That just the way that Christ was resurrected, you have been resurrected to newness of life because of the work of the Spirit in your heart. And the water, of course, reminding us that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. We are washing away the old life and burying it. What a privilege it is to enter the waters of baptism. And the witnesses to baptism are not just bystanders. We are reminded of the unity and fellowship that we share in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that we have all been baptized into one spirit. It reminds us that we are all one. We have unity that was purchased by Christ, His crucifixion. We witness the baptism and we can celebrate that we have a new brother or sister in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We are also once again reminded of what Christ has done in our own lives. I love what John Calvin said in the Institutes. Quote, As often as we fall away, we ought to recall the memory of our baptism and fortify our minds with it that we may always be sure and confident of the forgiveness of sins. End quote. We are strengthened and encouraged by remembering our own baptism because it reminds us that we are a new creation. I am not who I used to be. We are reminded that baptism is a plea to God for a good conscience. That just as the water signifies the washing away of impurity, so have my sins been washed away. And from this sight and this memory, Christ gives strength to his people and encourages them to continue fighting the good fight. Lastly, it says that they were devoted to the prayers. Prayer is the divinely appointed means of speaking directly to God. Where the word is God speaking to us, prayer we are speaking to God. 
We do this corporately. We practiced this this morning in Sunday school. Every fourth Sunday, in case you didn't know, we use our Sunday school hour for corporate prayer. As we read in 1 Timothy, corporate prayer is an essential aspect of the gathering. We pray to God about literally everything. We pray to God, why? Because everything depends on Him. Everything depends upon God. When we gather together in prayer as a church, we are confessing corporately that we are entirely dependent upon Him as a people. He must move and work among us or else our effort is futile. But we are also benefited by coming to God as a people in prayer. What did God tell His people in 2 Chronicles? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. This is a call to corporate prayer, being of one mind in prayer and together confessing our sinfulness before the Lord. Confessing that we still need His grace. We still need His mercy. Surely it is the same for us today. God's people will set their hearts to pray, to turn from their sinfulness, to seek God. God will hear and act. We know, of course, that God will answer prayer according to his good and perfect will. But he will not answer the prayers that are not prayed. And a prayerless church is a church that's dying. And what are we to pray about? Everything. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Not be anxious about some things and the things that are kind of a little more difficult for you. Go ahead and bring those to God. The things you want to hold on to, that's fine. Hold on to those things and worry your little heart out, please. And then bring the rest to God. That's not what he says. He says bring everything. Don't be anxious about anything. What about the bills? Nope. What about my children? Nope. What about this? What about that? What about the church? What about our country? What about the stock market? What about real estate? What about... No. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 How long are we supposed to pray? Pray without ceasing. Three haymakers to the gut. Pray without ceasing. Friends, if we're being honest, I think that all of us would confess that it's really easy to pray when things are really, really hard. But when things aren't so bad, it's really easy to forget prayer and to go prayerless. When you're not really struggling with a big, obvious sin, it's, it's easy to not be as desperate to pray. When there's not something really big hanging over you, it's pretty easy to not be as desperate in prayer. But the scriptures tell us pray without ceasing. Pray about everything. Pray as we learned this morning in Sunday school's devotion. Pray in the spirit at all times. Which, by the way, that passage tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God in Jude. Do you know how we do that? It's by exercising the ordinary means of grace. We also pray for each other. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Friends, do you do this? 
Do you just let your sins eat you up? Or do you confess your sins? Do you speak about them? When you have gotten angry or short with your wife or your husband or your children, do you have a habit of confessing your sin? Confessing it before them and showing them what repentance looks like? This passage tells us confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I love Luke chapter 18. Because sometimes we, we are very focused in prayer. Sometimes it's easy to be so adamant about prayer. But then Luke chapter 18 tells us, speaking of Jesus, he went on to tell them some more parables about how they should always pray and not lose heart. Why? Why should we not lose heart? Because we know our Father hears us. First John tells us, if we are His children, our Father hears us. He might not answer the prayer the way that we want Him to, that we would expect Him to, but He hears us. He wants us to bring our requests to Him. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too big. Bring all of it to your Father. He wants to hear you. And as we pray, we are promised in Hebrews chapter 4 that we will receive mercy and find grace when we need it most. Prayer strengthens God's people as we align ourselves by faith through the Spirit with the will of God. Friends, I know that this is probably something that most people don't say, but we want to be an ordinary church. We want to be an ordinary church. An ordinary church is one centered on the ordinary means of grace. We know and believe that these are the ordinary means that God has ordained for His people to use and receive strength, encouragement, and peace, and joy, and wisdom, and everything we need. And guess what? We don't need... 5,000 people. We don't need the lights down low. We don't need big, beautiful buildings. All we need is the ordinary means of grace. And we can do that by faith and be strengthened and receive all of Christ's benefits. You and me, here, when we gather. Let's stand. Let us always keep in mind that God does extraordinary things using ordinary, sometimes painfully ordinary means. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you do use the ordinary. Thank you that you do extraordinary things. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the benefit of these means we would be benefited by your word, by fellowship, by practicing the ordinances, and by prayer. Make us a people that are ordinary and use us for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.